welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, good morning again. Uh, I want to begin this morning with a question. And the question is, have you ever been stuck? Like really stuck. Uh, this past week, my wife Ansley was dropping off our girl, girls at school and her battery in her car died. She tried the ignition, didn't turn over. Tried it again, no luck. So she got a ride home from a friend and met up with me and uh, we went together, hopped in my car and we uh, drove uh, back to where her car was stuck. And normally this trip would take all of three minutes, but on this wonderful day, it took 30 minutes. I have no idea what was going on, but it literally took like 30 minutes. We eventually got there. Now I'm not very mechanical, but I know a bit about electricity. So I'm thinking... I got this. Uh, so I got up my jumper cables and I opened up the hoods of, of, of both cars and you know, was trying to find where to clamp down these cables. And I, I, I don't know what it is about these newer cars, but it's like the engineers of the world got together and conspired and said, you know, how can we make this car as confusing as possible for normal people to be able to service and maintain their cars? Maybe it's just me, but that's, that's what it feels like. So I looked around the engine compartment, and thankfully, the positive node was very clearly labeled in both cars. I'm thinking, okay, that's a win. But then I looked around, I'm like, where's the negative node? N- nowhere to be found. And so I'm getting a little frustrated, and my wife's like, honey, just call 3A. And I'm like, there is no way I'm calling 3A. I will figure this out if I'm here all night. I will figure this out. And so I monkeyed around for a while. I got some love here. I'm feeling some love here. Feeling some love. He knows where I'm coming from. And so, so, you know, I monkeyed around for a while, but then I got this genius idea. I'm like, I'm going to look this up on YouTube. And so looked it up on YouTube, eventually uh, figured it out. And in the meantime, I'm telling my wife, here's what you need to do. I need you to grab these two clamps and hold them separate from each other. Do not let them touch. She's like, are we going to die? I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. I, I hope not. I hope not. Pray with me. <laughs> thankfully, we figured it out. This is like a whole ordeal. We thankfully, we eventually figured out. We, we, got, the, we got the car starts. That, that's an image of, of being stuck. But have you ever been like, have you ever been like really stuck? Like really, really stuck? I was thinking this, this past week back to a time when I was a kid. So I grew up in the country and around my house were fields. And so sometimes, you know, there might be corn growing and you could play hide and seek as a kid in a cornfield. That's cool. So some fun memories. Um, but one, one time there were no crops around our house. And so a friend came over. And so we took out the family four-wheeler for a little spin. And I was, I don't know, maybe sixth grade, fifth grade. I can't remember. And so we were having fun and, you know, driving around. And at one point we came across uh, sort of a barrier. It was an irrigation levee. But you see, we wanted to get to the other side. And so I didn't have the, the apparently the, the best uh, motorcycle uh, driving skills. And so I took it the wrong way and bottomed out. And we got stuck. And it was muddy. And it turns out it wasn't mud. It was sewage from the dairy down the way. <laughs> so we were literally stuck in the muck. And no matter how hard I, I pumped the gas, the wheels 
just spun. <laughs> no matter how hard we pushed from behind, tried to push this thing forward, we were stuck. We were completely and absolutely stuck. And I just wonder if that's an image for some of us today, for how we feel. Perhaps some of us are stuck financially. Like we just don't know the way forward. Perhaps some of us are, are stuck relationally. We don't know the way forward. Some of us are stuck emotionally. And I'm sure some of us, many of us are probably stuck spiritually. You just feel like there's this, I don't know, you just can't move forward in your relationship with God. Try as you may. And it's like this image of the four-wheeler. You hit the gas, but you just spin your wheels and you don't know what to do. What I love about God's word is that it is so relevant. It speaks to us wherever we are. And we're going to look at a passage today that speaks to the sense of stuckness. And we're looking today at a promise of God from Isaiah chapter 43, where God says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way, God says, in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, this passage we're looking at is in a Bible reading plan called the lectionary, which we sometimes follow to kind of organize our readings. But, but I have to tell you that as I've been praying in recent weeks, this passage just keeps coming up. And so I really believe this is not just a prophetic word for the people of Israel who originally heard this passage. Actually, that this is a word for us today, that God wants us to hear this and receive this, that he is speaking this to us today. So I want you to hear that. And by the way, I need to finish my story. So my friend, when we had exhausted all of our resources, all of our best thinking, all of our energy, we finally had the good sense to run home and call on my dad to help us out. And he came, and honestly, I don't even remember what he did, but somehow he made a way. And that's really the point of this passage today, that our God is a God. He is a good father who makes a way for his children. That's what we're going to learn about today. And so let's enter into this passage. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 19. And here's the backdrop. So God's people, they're, they're stuck. And, and the people of Israel are stuck in more ways than one. Uh, first of all, they're stuck geographically. They are in exile at this point in Babylon. And so they are far away from home. They're cut off from all the things they loved, uh, you know, and, and, and where they want to be. They're cut off from the promises of the promised land that God had promised their forefathers. They'd lost everything they held dear. And so they're confused. But it's not just that. Also, they're stuck in terms of their relationship with God. They feel that God has forgotten about them, that he doesn't care, and and they don't know how to move forward. They are stuck. So God is telling them here, I am making a way. I am making a way forward. But he knows that this will be hard for them to believe. So some of you here today, you're probably facing something very challenging. And suppose as we're praying today or worshiping, you just kind of feel like you hear God's still small voice say to you, hey, I'm making a way. But if you're like really stuck, if you're facing something really difficult, that might be difficult to believe, right? And so God knows that. So where he starts is by taking them back so that they can enter their future. This is kind of a back to the future thing. So sometimes you have to go back in order to enter into your future. So verse 16, this, it says, this is what the Lord says. Now notice who is speaking here. This is not some opinion of the prophet Isaiah. 
this is not some kind of Hallmark get well card. Hey, I'm, I'm wishing you best wishes, but it's empty. There's no substance. This is not just some pontification. This is actually the Lord himself speaking through the prophet. That means we can, we can bank on what he's saying here. It says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, verse 17, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So what's going on here? Well, God is uh, reminding his people of a time when they were enslaved uh, in Egypt. And now actually, and it's been generations since that past, but now actually they're enslaved in a new place. They're enslaved in Babylon. So God is saying, hey, remember when I did this. Egypt's gone. In fact, I want to clarify what happened because I want you to remember accurately what happened. He who made a way through the sea, that was me, God is saying. I made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. So he's saying, do you remember when you were slaves in Egypt and you cried out to me and I heard you? Do you remember when you said you needed me to come and deliver you and I sent Moses? Do you remember how I sent Moses to face Pharaoh and Pharaoh did not want to release you? And so I sent 10 plagues. In fact, I had you put blood on your doorpost and created the Passover so that every year you would remember how I set you free and how I gave you life. I want you to remember what I did. And do you remember how I took you to the brink of the ocean, God is saying. And then Pharaoh got mad and he started chasing you down and he grabbed his chariots and horses and he decided he was going to destroy you and you were terrified and and it looked like an impossible situation. You thought, we're doomed. How will we ever make it through this? But I made a way, God is saying. I told Moses to stand in front of the water, to raise his staff. The waters parted. You went through. When the Egyptian armies came in, I swallowed them up. Do you remember that, God is saying? He's saying, I did that. That's who I am. I am the God who makes a way. And my character is unchanging. Perhaps some of us are facing an impossible situation today. God wants you to remember that he is the God who makes a way. He makes a way. And he's saying, I've done it before. I can do it again. Will you believe me? Will you trust me in this? Now, before moving on to the next verse, I want to point out something really interesting that that is easy to miss. So the NIV translation, which we're using uh, today, translates the, uh, the the verbs in these couple of verses in the past tense. And that makes sense uh, because God is describing some, some realities and events that happened in the past. So, so that's, a, that's a good translation. NIV is great. But what's interesting is that in the Hebrew, these verbs are actually present tense. Uh, so verses 16 and 17 could also be translated, he who makes a way who draws out the chariots and the horses. And as one commentator points out, because you might wonder, well, why, why would they have a present tense there? As one commentator points out, by hearing this in the present tense, it sort of pra- places the reader or the person hearing this within the events. And as a result, the exodus, quote, is brought out of the dim past into the present. And Israel is reminded that their faith is not in these events, real and important as they are, but in the present God who does these kinds of things. Isn't that amazing? 
You see, our God is not just a God of history. And sometimes I fear we can lapse into this view of like, well, God, he did things in the past, but somehow like, I don't know, he moved on to other things. Now our God is a God who is alive and well, and he is at work in our present tense reality. That is who he is. He is a God who makes a way. And he's saying, trust me, I can do it again. Now it's interesting because God's been reminding his people to calling them. He's been calling them to remember, right? So this is very strange. Something very strange happens here. So, and then he goes on to say in verse 18, okay, so remember, then he goes on, verse 18, now forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Oh, let's stop there. Like, like, like what's going on here? Again, he's just reminded his people of the past, but now they're being told and we're being told to forget the past. So which is it? Remember or forget? Yes. <laughs> now, if I was mean, I'd just stop. I'd just leave it there and move on. But no, I'll unpack this. Um, so on the one hand, the Bible talks a lot about remembering. God says, you know, I mean, if you just read through scripture, it's like, remember, remember, remember. And in fact, one specific thing God tells his people to remember is this very event that he just recounted for them. And again, he's saying, look, never forget when you were slaves in Egypt. Never forget what I did for you. Remember, God says, never forget when you cried out to me and I answered, do not forget, remember. Never forget when I sent Moses to deliver you, remember. Never forget when I sent the 10 plagues, remember this. In fact, you know, he tells them again to, to, you know, you're gonna celebrate the Passover every year because I want you to remember how I delivered you. And remember how I took you to the brink of the ocean and it looked impossible, but I made a way. Remember this. So God clearly, he's called his people, he's called us to be a people who remember, but now he says, forget. So what on earth does he mean by that? I once heard a pastor sum it up like this. That God wants you to remember your past, but he does not want you to live in your past. God wants you to remember your past, but he does not want you to live in your past. You see, if you're not careful your past can actually keep you from moving forward into the future that God has for you, from the way he's making. And so there are really two dimensions to this that I want to unpack and that we need to be aware of. And so the first part of this is that we need to resist the temptation to idolize the past. Now, especially I found as I get a little older, uh, perhaps you found this too, it can be tempting sometimes to, to kind of start thinking and kind of pining for, you know, the good old days, you know, and kind of almost this nostalgia about certain things. And, and of course, we want to remember those good things. But again, if, if you start to live and long for the past glory days, you'll probably miss the good days ahead. Have you ever been around someone who um, always talks about when they were in high school? And often maybe this is an athlete or something, and they might say, you know, did I ever tell you about the championship game? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> but they just keep going anyway, and you just kind of brace yourself, and you know, and so sometimes we're living in our past glory. But what about your future glory? What about the next thing that God has in store for you? As we were uh, praying on Wednesday night at a prayer meeting, one of our leaders who just has a really, uh, really rock-solid uh, track record with this sermon. He said, as, as we were praying, he said, I, I got this picture of someone sitting on a history book 
But then I saw another book next to it and it had blank pages. And I felt like God was handing a pen to this person and saying, will you join me in writing the next chapter, in writing the next story? You see, if you're living in your past glory, you will miss the future glory that God has in store for you. And sometimes, um, I don't know, I think just based on conversations I've had, people can sometimes feel like, you know, gosh, I'm just, you know, I'm just getting older and I don't know. You just kind of fall into this thing. But I once heard it said that if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. God has things in store for you. He has a future for you. So God is saying to the people of Israel, you keep uh, living in this past moment when I showed up in your life. And, and, and I, I suspect that perhaps the reason they're living in the moment is because they do not believe that he will enable them to step into the next moment. And he's saying, the same way I showed up when you're under bondage to Egypt, I will show up now that you're under bondage to Babylon. The name's changed, but I'm still the same. I'm the God who makes a way. Will you trust me? God's basically saying, look, if you, if you keep looking, if you're driving and you spend all your time looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to miss the turn in the road ahead, right? So don't drive by looking in the rearview mirror. Dr- look forward. Don't spend most of your time looking backward. Look forward. That is the point. God wants us to remember the past, but not live in the past. Now, that's the first dimension, to not live in the past glory. But also, there's another element of this where we need to move on from past pain and mistakes. It's not to say we stuff it or repress it, but we need to not get stuck there. Uh, In the context of this passage, you have to understand that the Israelites, the reason they were in exile in the first place is actually because of their sin. They just persisted in rebelling and run away from, running away from God time and time again. So eventually that led to exile. And so you can imagine in this moment, they're aware of all their mistakes and they're aware of all the pain it has brought them. But you see, if you spend all your time and energy focusing on dwelling upon your mistakes or your past pain or regrets, you will not be able to see the future that God has in front of you. And you won't be able to walk into it because you're sort of just being held back by your past. And again, I think just that image of the book is the perfect illustration that God has a new chapter that he wants to write with. He has a new story he wants to write for you. And imagine again, this image of, of your life as a book. If you keep going back, say, but God, what this, but this happened in chapter one. He's like, I want, he's trying to turn the page. You're like, no, but God, this happened in chapter two. He's like, can we, can we move on now? Because I've got a new chapter for you. what's happened so far is not the end of your story. That's just the beginning. I've got a new story for you. Will you let him turn the page? He's like, I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you. My grace covers all of that. That's part of your story, but it's not the end of the story. Will you let me write a new chapter with you? And so that's the invitation to the people of Israel and to us here today. Now, in order to do that, some of us, you might need to grieve some things. That's part of how you turn the chapter. It's not stuffing. It's sometimes you just need to grieve it. But then there's a time when you need to move on because God has a future in store for you. Sometimes you might need to forgive someone. You might need to forgive yourself. You might need to receive God's forgiveness in your heart. Sometimes that takes time. I'm one of those people, I can't just say the word. Sometimes I have to kind of just sit and be in God's presence for a while to let that kind of just sink in. There might be people you need to forgive, but the point is that God He wants you to process those things, but he does not want you to live in those things. He has a future in store for you. So God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. That is his point. And I think just another image of this is, think about, I don't know if you remember monkey bars when you were a kid. So how does that work? If you're going to move forward and make progress 
you are actually going to have to let go of what's behind you. You cannot reach forward and grab the next bar if you do not let go. Some of us, I fear, we're probably clinging to this back, this bar back here. We've wondered like, why, why, why can't I move forward? Because you need to let go. Some of us are here. It's time. You've actually processed things. You've actually grieved. You've actually confessed. You've actually forgiven. Now it's time to move forward. It's time to let go. That is the invitation of this verse. Are we willing to let go so God can lead us forward? Because this is what he's up to. Verse 19. God says, see, I am doing a new thing. And actually, God is all about new things. I don't know if you've read much scripture, but the scriptures tell us that God's mercies are new every morning. Isn't that wonderful to know that no matter how much you blew it the day before, his mercies are new every morning. I love that. God says, I'm going to give you a new covenant, a new and better covenant than the old one. And in that covenant, guess what? I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put in you a new spirit. I'm going to give you a new mind. And in fact, pull out your instruments because I'm going to give you a new song. Isn't that great? God is all about the new. And he says, not only that, I'm going to make you new creations. And then he says, because you're new, I'm going to give you a new environment. So actually, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, this is actually amazing because I can understand why God would want to create a new earth because we've messed this place up. So that makes sense to me. But why on earth would God want to create a new heavens? And I mean, it's, it's in pretty good shape, right? And, and so, so what's that about? I, I think what, how I read that is that I think God doesn't make things new just because they need to be new. But I think he loves making new things. I think he loves things that are awesome and even better than they were before. I feel like God's like this cosmic artist or craftsman or artisan, and he loves making things new, and he wants to do that for you. He wants to do that for us. He wants to make things new in our lives. So verse 19 continues, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? So this, this new thing that, that, that God uh, is doing is compared to something that springs up suddenly, just like plants can spring up suddenly in a desert after a rain like we're seeing right now in, in our Southern California climate. And so as you look at your life, it might not look like anything's going on, but get ready because God says it springs up. Suddenly, just it springs up. It looks like nothing's going on and then it springs up. I love that. But here's what's wild. He goes on to say, do you not perceive it? Which implies God can be up to something really big in your life and you totally miss it. You're not even aware of it. Isn't that amazing? For me, that's like really sobering. And so I pray, God, would you give me eyes to see what you're doing in my life, what you're doing in our community? Because God, sometimes we, we, somehow we miss it. We don't have eyes to see. So God, would you give us eyes to see. Now, how is it possible though that we can really be so blind? How could we miss things like that? Well, I think one possibility, again, if you spend all your time looking in the rearview mirror, go figure you're not going to see what's ahead, what's happening right before you. Some of us perhaps have been in a desert so long that we've just kind of given up. We've just kind of resigned any sort of hope that God could do something new. And so, so God is just kind of breathing this, this, this word of hope. God says, look around, behold, it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And he goes on to say, verse 19, second half of this verse, I am, make, I am making a way in the wilderness. Again, God's saying, look, I made a way before, and I'm going to do it again. 
Before he made a way through the Red Sea, and now he's making a way again, this time in the desert of his people's Babylonian captivity. And God's promise is actually, actually even bigger than that. That's like the initial reference point, but it's actually even bigger than that because ultimately God is making a way in the wilderness, not just for the people in exile in Babylon. He is making a way in the wilderness of the entire world. This is ultimately an eschatological promise of which we can experience foretastes even here now. Eschatological having to do with the end times, the end things, the last things, even now. So we'll come back to that. But God continues, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So this is an image both of God's generous provision as well as spiritual renewal. When you go down to the end of the passage, verse 21, we see that as a result of what God's going to do. People are going to praise him. So this is an image of spiritual renewal. Now, there are two implications of this that I want to sort of unpack for us. And first, we need to see here that God works in different ways at different times. And therefore, we need to not put him in a box. That God works at different ways in different times, and therefore, we need to not put him in a box. So when God's saying, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, why does he say that? Well, because the first time, think about this, the first time he showed up in a big way, what happened? Well, in that time, he took the water and dried it up. But this time, they're in a desert, and so he's going to do something different. He's going to bring the water to the desert, you see? But they keep waiting for God to do the same thing the same way, perhaps with the river Euphrates instead. And I think it's interesting how sometimes we can think that God is predictable. Think about that. Uh, And that's how we end up creating, you know, various legalisms. You know, this is the way God did it then, therefore this is how he must do it. And I once heard a scholar of the history of revival speak, and he said after every revival, eventually legalism creeps in. The best revivals, the best movements of God. People say, aha, this is how we did it this time. This is therefore how he must do it this time. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this. Maybe you shouldn't share this. But I'll just share it. Yeah. So then we can be tempted to fake it. One time I was receiving prayer and I love receiving prayer. And I'm very, I love like the whole spectrum of Christian worship and expression. I love it. And so this was a, I'll just say, I'm not going to, okay. Edit, 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 edit. Okay. Um, and there was kind of like an opportunity to receive prayer. So I'm receiving prayer and I love that. And so someone's praying for me and because they have seen people fall over under the presence and power of God in the past, they're thinking if someone's going to encounter God, they have to fall down. And so this person is trying to push me. I'm thinking like, look, if the presence and power of God comes upon me with such force that I spontaneously fall down, I'm game. I I'm down. It's in the Bible. I'm down for that, but please do not push me down. (laughs) I'm like, like what, what are you doing? Like, I'm like bending. I'm like doing like the uh, limbo. You know, like what is going on? You know? Again, we get in these crazy things like, okay, this is how it happened last time. This is how it has to happen this time. And we can do that in every tradition. It's not just in that tradition. You can do it in every tradition. And so we need to watch ourselves because we, we serve an amazing, wild, and creative God who's so immensely creative. So if you think you've got him figured out, think again think again. And so you'd better be open to whatever wild creative thing he wants to do, because otherwise you just might miss it. Because if you think sometimes it's like, okay, think of like you're waiting for, I don't know what, let's say just, I don't know. um, I, I don't know. You're waiting for, you're at a park and you're waiting for a friend to meet a friend. And you're thinking, oh, most definitely this friend is going to come from this entrance, like Hillcrest Park. It's like a huge park. 
If you just presume, oh yeah, the, my friend's going to meet me and he's going to come this way. And you're, so you're only face this direction. Guess what? What if your friend comes the other way? God's like that. He likes to kind of sneak up on us and come different directions. I think he likes to keep us on our toes because he knows, I think that we've got trust issues. We've got control issues. We've got fear issues. And what he wants to get us to do is to learn to actually be an intimate relationship of reliance and dependence upon him. And so he loves to mix it up on us. So if you're struggling with that right now, just know that that's like, that's part of his MO. You just kind of got to get used to it. And I feel like in my life, every time I feel like I'm starting to like, okay, I understand and feel like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, getting fluent with what God's doing in my life in this season. Then it's like, okay, new season. It's kind of like parenting. Like, you know, once your, your child is like, okay, now I know how to parent them in this stage. Okay. On to the next stage. Like, oh no, no, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you get a little fluency then. Oh no, it changes again. So God loves he loves to, he's just so, part of it, he's just creative, but part of it, he wants to teach us to rely upon him, not to rely on a formula, not to rely on some unyielding, rigid method, not to rely on a set of principles. Uh, he wants us to rely upon him. He is a God who makes a way, but again, he is creative, so we need to not put him in a box. He will not be tamed. So God says, I parted the water because that's what you needed then, but now I'm going to bring streams out of the wasteland because that's what you need now. So you need to pay attention. I am not predictable. And I think, I just love that, that he is so creative and unpredictable. And so he's crafting, crafting a unique future for everyone in this room and for even entire congregations. Like, so, so the church isn't like Starbucks, you know, it's not just copy and paste, copy and paste. It's actually each of us, who our responsibility is actually to discern God. What are you doing here at this time with this people, with my life, with your life? That is our call. He is a creative God and he takes us on this amazing adventure. I love that. I love that. So one last implication I want to draw from this verse is God says, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, I know that when I've been in a desert, sometimes my prayer is, God, get me out of here. You know, I just want God to like, kind of like airlift me out. But God, so often his reply is, no, I've got a better plan. Instead, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to transform your desert. I'm not just going to airlift you. I'm going to transform your desert. And we see all these images of, of this in scripture, beauty from ashes, uh, one of my favorite Psalms, you, you know, uh, those who uh, sow in tears will reap in joy. But you see this image of God bringing streams in the desert. That's an image of transformation. It's an image of hope. It's an image of life. I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley in central California. And 150 years ago, it was a barren wasteland. It was a barren desert. My family emigrated there from Sweden around 1900 because they saw an ad in a Swedish magazine, Joe, you'll appreciate this, <laughs> that, said, uh, that said that this was the promised land. Those darn Swedes. And uh, so they got there and when they're getting off the train that dropped them off, the conductor said, why on earth would you want to live here? Only tumbleweed and jackrabbits live here. And that was true then. But then irrigation happened. Water came. And it transformed the Central Valley. Did you know that the San Joaquin Valley is known as the breadbasket of the world? 
because it's so rich with life and agriculture and produce and it supplies a large percentage of the world's food. That's just this image of the transformation that God wants to bring in your life, in mine, but not just there, also in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in this world. God is a God who is making all things new. Will you let him do that in your life today? That's his plan. He doesn't want to just airlift you out. He wants to bring healing and transformation. And then he doesn't want you just to receive that and say, okay, that was great. He wants to enable you to be an agent of his transforming work in the world. We have actually a mission. But that's another sermon. (laughs) So God's just amazing. He is just amazing. I'm going to have to wrap this up. So band, I'd like to invite you to come back up. But as you look at your life, as you look at your circumstances today, it might feel like an impossible situation. It might feel like the Israelites, just picture them at the edge of the ocean. They've got the Egyptian armies bearing down on them from one side, and they've got this impenetrable ocean on the other side. And it looks hopeless. Perhaps that's how your situation looks this morning. God wants you to remember that he is a God who makes a way. He says, forget the former things, the successes, the, the, the failures, the regrets. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Will you trust God today and allow him to do that in your life? Sometimes in Christian circles, uh, people like to ask, uh, when did you first give your life to Jesus? And that's a good question as far as it goes. But I think the most important question is, are you giving your life to Jesus today? That is the invitation this morning, to give your life to him today. Let's pray together. I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. As the band plays some instrumental, let's just take a moment um, to do business with God and you might want to just think, what, what, what's on your heart? Like, what would you like to tell God? What would you like to ask him? He's here. He wants to hear from you. He wants to meet with you in this moment. If there's, maybe you're not sure what to say. There's some sample prayers in, in the bulletin. You might want to pray if you need help finding the words. But let's just take a moment in silent prayer to connect with God and we'll continue in worship. Jesus, I just pray that you breathe hope in this place today. You comfort those who are grieving, who 
are stuck, Lord, would you encourage every person here? And we thank you, God, that you are making a way. We thank you. Give us the grace to be open, to perceive what you're doing, God. To let go of the past and to walk forward with you.